Hi, this is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, thanking you in advance for listening to the following Shi'ur Torah. Many years ago, the great Chacham Obadi Yosef, Zechet Sadik Lebracha, was asked to come to the Knesiyah Gidola, representing and speaking to the organization known as Uchtav Tan. This was an organization that actually encouraged young yeshiva boys to write down all their divrei Torah and they had like a contest where month after month they would submit this divrei Torah that they would write and the best of the pack would receive all different types of money incentives and prizes. So they asked the great Chacham Ovadi Yosef, Zechet Tzadik Lebracha, to address the boys and to encourage them to write down divrei Torah and to enhance their learning. And it was there that the great rabbi, the Gadol, got up. And the great Chacham Obadiah began to speak to the young boys. And he said to them, I want to tell you, many years ago, when I was in Yeshivat Porat Yosef, and I was only 15 years old, I started writing down all my Chidusheh Torah. Matter of fact, at the young age of 15, I started writing a sefer, a real book. And when word got out to my friends that I was writing a sefer, they started making such fun of me. They started putting me down and calling me names. Look at this guy, 15 years old. He's ready thinking that he can write svarim. And they used to make jokes. When he would walk in the room, his friends would start kidding to each other. Oh, look, look who just came in. The Baal HaSefer, the Baal Mechaber Sefer. But then it stopped there. It got out even to the Kolel guys. And the whole yeshiva was in on this joke. And the whole yeshiva was putting down poor young Ovadi Yosef. And they were making fun of him. And they were calling him all different types of names. But it didn't move him. And he didn't drop his belief. He didn't drop his idea. And no matter how much they made fun of him, he told everybody, I had a dream to write Chidushet Torah. I had a dream to write Svarim of Torah. And he turned with a smile to all the boys that made fun of him, his friends, and he said to them, you never know, maybe one day you might use one of my books. You never know. Maybe one day the whole world ended up using all of his Svarim. And when you take a look at this bookshelf, and I could point out to you how many of the Svarim came out of the dream of a 15-year-old who refused to give up that dream, no matter how much he was ridiculed, no matter how much they called him crazy and they called him names and they made fun of him and they put him down, and he stood alone in this dream, but he did not let go. And he held strong and he saw it through alone, but he stood tall and take a look at the results. He went on to be a Gadol Hador. And everybody else that told him that he couldn't, he couldn't. Everyone else out there that tells you that you can't. He went on to be a Gadol Hador, while everybody else remained ordinary. This is the way Gidolim are made. Gidolim are made from people that were told that they can't. They were told they're crazy. 
They were told, fat bill head, you're out of your mind. You're too much religious. And they're put down and put down and put down. But they didn't move. And they held their ground. And they believed in their truth. And they made a stand for Emet. And they made a stand for what they believed was right, in spite of the fact that everyone was doing it a different way. That strength, that ability to hold strong and to lend a deaf ear to all the naysayers around you, that's the recipe of great Jews. While everybody else, they remain simple, they go on to be great. You know, it's not easy. It's really not easy to go against the flow. It's really very difficult to pull yourself away from what everyone else says and what everyone else does and to do what you know is right. It's very difficult. But ladies, we're going to find out today that this really is the definition of the word Jew. If you were to define the word Jew, now, one thing I would not advise, do not open up Webster's Dictionary and look under the word, terrible things. That's the way Goim define, and Ba'avonoteno Harabim, it hurts to say that that's the way they define Jew. The real definition of Jew goes after the first man in history that was actually called Ivri, the Jew. And who was the first man in history called Jew? Abraham Avinu. Abraham Ha'ivri. Abraham the Jew. Says the Midrash. Why did they call him Jew? How, was he, how come he was called Ivri? Says the Midrash. And I quote the words of the Midrash. Midrash says, Abraham Hayam Mitzad Echad. Vikol Ha'olam Mitzad Acher. Ivri. Milashon over. He went to the other side to where no one else was standing. He stood alone against the whole world, but he stood. And he didn't succumb to that pull of society. He didn't succumb to that pull of what everyone else is doing. And because of that, who did he become? He became the father of Klali Yisrael. He became the one that Hashem on him calls him Ahuvi. Chavibi, my loved one, you made a stand for me. You stood up against the flow of the whole world just to introduce monotheism, to introduce one God, Hashem. His own father was the biggest retailer of Avodah Zarah in the world. He was the number one distributor of Avodah Zarah. Do you understand what type of a stand this Abraham, young Abraham, had to take in order to become Abraham Avinu? Your father is the biggest distributor of Avodah Zarah. What you're about to say now, Abraham, is not good for family business. Not at all. You're going to put your father out of business, your family out of business. Abraham Avinu wanted one thing. He wanted Emet. And because of that, he was ready to be different than everybody else. And it's not easy to be different than everybody else. Oh, how we know that. And it's not easy to be contrary to everybody else. But the definition of a Jew is to be a natural contrarian. 
to be contrary, to see things differently than the way everybody else sees it, to be able to make a stand for what you believe is right, even if everyone's doing it a different way, even if everyone's putting you down and calling you crazy and calling you names and belittling you, and you still have the gav, the back, to stand strong in what you believe is right, that's Ivri. That's a Jew. That's Abraham Avinu. And you know, it's a great benefit Kalal Yisrael was given. When we learn Gemara, we're learning Dvar Hashem. We're learning the words of God. Every word is Kodesh Kodashim. But a tremendous benefit that Gemara gives to its learners is that when you learn Gemara, you learn how to look at something from a different perspective than when it's typically looked at. Gemara gives you the tools and the skills to be creative, to have a tremendous ability of analysis, to be able to look at something in a different angle than anyone else has looked at it before. Matter of fact, think about it. Every machloket in Gemara is two rabbis who are looking at the same scenario or the same object or the same situation, but they're looking at it from two completely different ways. That takes a lot of creativity. That takes a lot of talent. That takes an ability to be contrary to what everyone else sees and what everyone else thinks. But you're not gonna give up your quest for truth. I believe that this is Emet. I know that this is the right thing to do. This is what Hashem wants from me. And even if everybody else is doing the opposite, that's not going to move my stance. I'm ready to stand alone for Dvar Hashem. It's amazing to me that if you take a look over the years, you'll see in history that the majority of Nobel Peace Prize winners in history were Jews. And that just doesn't add up mathematically. I mean, take a look at our numbers. <laughs> We're like, uh, you know, what, is, uh, what does he say, Mark Twain? We're like stardust amongst the, uh, the cosmos. We're, we're, we're just a few. We're just, we're a little few of numbers. We're hardly anything compared to the billions of goyim that there are out there. But yet, our benefits to society and what we've contributed to the world in the way of all areas in the way of invention and in science and in literally every system, financial, in any creative system, in any industry. There was a Jew that came along and revised the system and made it better, holding the majority of Nobel Peace Prize winners of history. It doesn't match our numbers, but it matches our personality. Because now that we understand the definition of Jew, every, what it means is we don't follow everybody else. The status quo is not good, for us, not good enough for us. Just because everybody else is thinking one way, that does not compel us to succumb to that thinking. We have the ability to stand up and question and say, wait one second, is that really true? And look into it deeper and make a stance for what we think is the real emet. And sure enough, how many industries were revised? How many Nobel Peace Prize winners 
came about through this ability to be a Jew, to stand on one side while the world stood on the other side. That's the power we have. You know, it's like they said in the city of Kutsk. Now, Kutsk was known to have brilliant people. And the Kutsk Rebbe was known to be a brilliant genius and very sharp. In Kutsk, they used to say that the middle of the road is for horses. You know, the middle of the road. It's for horses, the followers. It's where everyone goes. It's what everyone does. It's just, you know, I'm going there because everybody else is going there. You know, where'd you go this past midwinter? Crucial. Because everybody, the whole thing, yeah, went on the cruise. I went on the cruise. There were kosher food on the cruise. No, Rabbi Shur said, only, only dairy. Only dairy. But it was on the same skillet that they cooked the taref. Yeah, but we put it on. Yeah, so you put it on the taref. Hazaku baruch. But no, but everyone did it, so we did it. Where did you go on vacation? I went to this island, I went to that island. You can let your kids walk around with people that have no clothes on? Yeah, Rabbi, everybody went, we went. But then there's gonna come a time where there's going to be some Abraham Avinu people, what we call real Jews, that are gonna be every. They're gonna be ready to go to the other side and stand alone for what they know is right. And if they believe that that's wrong, it's wrong for their family. It's wrong for their kids. It's not right to set an example like that at a young age. But Adarabah, to show them that we stand for a moral society. We stand for Torah and Halakha. And what's right and wrong. Those people are innovators. Those people change communities. Those people go on to be great people. While everybody else remains ordinary. This is what it means to be a Jew. In Kutsk, they say, the middle of the road, that's for horses. But you want to be a man, you want to be a gavra, you want to be a somebody, a Jew. Someone, sometimes you have to veer off and stop and say, wait, this isn't right. And stand for what you believe. And Hashem will stand with you. I remember years ago, I was in Israel and one of the Israeli guys told me, uh, I don't know, to me it really hit home, an amazing line. And it's funny, you know, sometimes certain things work for certain people, but they don't work for others. When I used to tell other people over this line, it didn't move them as much as it moved me, but it moved me. So I'd like to share it with you. I, a guy once told me this beautiful concept in Hebrew, and I'll translate. I actually put it on a paper, and I put it on the desk in my dorm room. And every night I'd come back, I'd look at that paper, and it gave me a little oomph of an inspiration. And this is what it said. It said, In English, in order to succeed in the leading of the orchestra or the symphony of life, sometimes you have to put your back to the people. Who is the one that leads the symphony orchestra? The conductor. He's the only one that has his back to the people. You want to lead the orchestra of life? You want to be a conductor? Sometimes to lead, you have to put your back to the people. Sometimes you have to be an Abraham, an Ivri, a Jew, 
that's over to the other side where no one's standing because this isn't right. Let's find the emet. Let's do it. Yes, I know everyone else is doing it that way. I know everyone else is going there. I know everyone else is doing that. I know everyone else is saying this. But it's not necessarily Alpi Torah. I want to know the truth. I want to know what's right. I want to know what God wants. And I'm going to stand there. And guess what? I look alone. And they'll ridicule me. But you know what I have with me? I have Hashem Himself. Like Abraham Avinu. That Hashem protected every step of the way. While he stood alone. So too. A person that stands alone. For the sake of Hashem. For doing what's right. Hashem says. You're not so alone. I'm with you too. I got you. And I'll do for you what I did for Abraham Avinu. And the rabbis tell us something powerful. The rabbis tell us that this is a promise. A guarantee. You see, because the first time that Torah labels Abraham Avinu Ivri was by the war against the four kings. Now, ladies, if we were betting, which we're not allowed to bet, but if we were allowed to bet, here you have two people, Abraham and Eliezer, against the four mightiest kings and their armies in the world. That's four against 100,000, or maybe four against 400,000. Who are the odds in favor? Not of the two. But yet, Abraham Avinu stood alone. And Hashem says, I'm with you. And when I'm with you, you don't need anybody else. And sure enough, the Midrash tells us, Abraham picked up sand, threw it in the air, and all the sand turned into arrows. And they shot out. And those arrows don't miss. And in no time at all, with miracle after miracle after miracle, Abraham Avinu beat the four kings of the world. With miracles. Why? He wasn't standing alone. He was standing with Borei Olam. And Borei Olam was with him. And here's the promise. Says the Baalei Musar. Any Jew, every, that's ready to stand alone. In spite of the fact that they're making fun of you. And they're calling you fat bilhet and, and everything it's not our way. And, and you this and everyone else does it the other way. And how come everyone else does And how come no one? And how come? And how come? And how come? Is it right or wrong? Is it la halacha or not? If you make that stand, you'll see there's the promise. That Hashem stood with Abraham Avinu when everyone else was against him. And he gave him miracles. And he made him successful. And he made him great. And right after that war of the four kings, he gave Abraham all the wealth in the world. And he made him, the popularity of the world was with him. And he had blessing in the home. And he had the best children. The best in the world. And he became the father of the Jewish people. Why? He stood alone against everyone else for Hashem's sake. To have this strength is to have the strength of a Jew. This is a real Ivri, a real Jew. And the promises, the same will be given to you. Those people that stood for what's right against the flow of everybody else, Hashem helped them to be successful against all odds. Take a look at this community. 35, 40 years ago, hardly, hardly 
any Shabbat observance was going on. But there was a few Abraham Avinus. There was a few strong people that stood up. And by the way, you got to hear this. Not all of them were rabbis. Maybe not even half of them were rabbis. But they said, Aib, it's not right. There's no Shabbat observance. We're not keeping Shabbat. What happened to us? And all the people that were working on Shabbat, they looked at him, but everyone's doing it. This is America. Everyone's doing it. But there was a few people, Ivri, that stood, stood on their own. They went against the flow of the wrong of everyone else. And they cried out, Shabbat is Kodesh. And oh, were they put down. And oh, were they made fun of. And oh, were they ridiculed. You have no idea what they put them through. There were families that totally and absolutely were ashamed because they had religious people in their family. Because they stood for what was right. Because they stood for Shabbat Kodesh. And they were, it was, it was, a, it was such a rough ordeal. But do you know that every single one of these families became great? Either they became great rabbis, either they became very wealthy, but every family saw tremendous success. But you know what their greatest success is? Today. Look around you. Look how much Shabbat today is being observed because of these people that were ready to take a lonely stand for truth in the face of ridicule to go against the flow of society and to say, we need to stand for what's right. And it wasn't just Shabbat. Ladies, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to give this dirashat to you today. You don't know the weight that you carry in this community. And you don't know the weight that you carry at home. You're the ones today that are making the real decisions. You're making the decisions of what school your kids are going to. You're the ones making the decision of what's the level of religious observance, Judaism observance in your home. The husband is out working his head off from 6 in the morning to 10, 11 at night. He comes home like a zombie. He plops down on the lazy chair with the remote. He doesn't know night. You are running the show. The kids get to see him Shabbat. That's it. And I'm not talking about, is it right? Is it wrong? Maybe that's for a different class. But this is what it is. You are the ones now that are really carrying the home. And therefore, we're really counting on you. You got to make a stand sometimes. In a very respectful and a very sweet way. Never, never touch the pride of your husband. Because if you were to touch that pride, you're playing with fire. You won't get your point across. You will not be successful in your result. And all that will come out is a problem between husband and wife. No, be, be respectful. Show him his pride. Make him his meal. Give him his due. He does work terribly hard. No one will take away from the guys in this community how hard they work. Nobody. But at the same time, you understand that when it comes to different stuff that you need, you know how to talk to your husband. This is an area that was given to you the gift that every wife knows the buttons of her husband. 
She knows. She wants to get a new dress for a wedding. She knows exactly what to say. She knows exactly what face to put on. She knows exactly what buttons to push. She knows exactly where to go. Because that means something to you. You're taking a stand for something that meant really a lot to you. That's the same stand for the family, the sake of the kids and the home. When you see that there's something that could be done better, that we could be better in, Shabbat observance. We don't need, God forbid, for our kids Friday night to be running off to the table to watch a Friday night. God forbid. Shabbat. We know the sanctity of Shabbat. We became, we came such a long way. We became great in these areas. And we want our kids to be that way as well. So we'll be the ones to pull out the sheets that the mower sent home for our kids to be able to have it already on the table so that the kids will feel like a celebrity and they'll be given the spotlight. And when they begin to talk, everyone is quiet. And after that, we give them candies. And after that, we clap like a Broadway performance. We're making a stand for what's right. Oh yeah, but your best friend down the block might not do it that way. And when family comes over, they might look at you like it's funny or odd. And somebody between the in-laws might whisper something. Yeah, it's not easy. But it's right. And that's the road to greatness. That's how Gidolim became great. Because they were able to stand alone in what they thought was right. Ivri. While everybody else just remained ordinary. In Kutsk, they say, the middle of the road are for the horses. And that's what I believe was one of the most important psukim in the parasha we read of Matan Torah, Parashat Yitro. Because over there, we finally got to the mountain. Do you know what the pasuk says? Vayichan sham Yisrael neged hahar. Now don't get me wrong. We had 33 stops in the Midbar. We stopped a lot of times rested across the journey of the desert. Not one time, besides this one, does it say which direction they faced when they rested in the desert. The one time Torah goes out of its way was by Har Sinai. Vayichan Sham Yisrael, the Jewish people rested there, neged hahar, facing the mountain. Why did he have to tell me which way they were facing? You never told me which way they faced on all the other stops. Answers the great Rav Yitzhak Hutner, Zechet Sadik Libracha, the Rosh HaYeshivah Chaim Berlin. And he says, this is the way Hashem wanted them to accept Torah. Neged Hahar. Their eyes were on the mountain. They saw nothing else. They weren't talking about stock market picks. They weren't talking about what happened that week in business. They weren't talking about the new car they want to lease. They weren't talking about the vacation they just came back from. They were naked hahar. They were completely focused on the mountain. You know what that means, says Rabbi Hutner? By the Torah telling you that they were completely focused on the mountain, it was teaching you that they had their backs to the rest of the world. That's a Jew. That's Ivri. 
to be able to stand with your back against the world and to be different and to be contrary for what you know is real and right and emet for what you know Torah is about. You want to come and accept Torah now? There's only one way to keep Torah the right way. Sometimes you have to face it so well that you put your back to the rest of the world. What a tremendous message. And this is a message that you ladies won over the community in yet another area. I don't want to mention names. One of the women were here Shabbat in this pair Shabbat class. And I saw she started tearing when I said over this episode. I heard this from my mother-in-law, Susan Sutton, and she was there. She watched this happen about 30, 35 years ago in the community. The concept of Tarata Mishpacha classes didn't exist. <coughs> the purity of the home. <laughs> this is what the whole Jewish home is based on. This is what kept us through the generations. The purity of the home. A woman in her purity, relations with her husband in purity, having children in the state of purity. And in those days it was obsolete. And some of the mothers used to give a few tips of halachot to their daughters the night before the wedding. But that didn't go too far and it didn't go too well. There were no one teaching the laws. Could you imagine that? There was the Rebetzin, the, the, you know, Ham Yaakov's, his wife, other few women here and there when they were approached for people who cared. So they taught them, but there was just one person. And how many people came across to even ask? They're, they're, they're boggled down with so many things before their wedding. The last thing they want is a lecture on halachot and laws. It, it wouldn't exist. Do you understand what came out of that? We're talking here about living together in Nida, in Karet. The Jewish home, gone. Do you know who stood up for this cause? It wasn't rabbis. It was women. I don't want to say names because I didn't ask them permission. One woman was sitting in the class, Shabbat. And they went to the rabbis and they demanded rabbis. What's going on? This isn't right. Women aren't going to mikveh anymore. Oh, they'll go once the night of their wedding, and then after that, never again. They got up to the rabbis and said, you gotta do something about it. And when people heard that these women were complaining, they put them down, they called them religious, they called them crazy, they called them all the names in the book. They looked at them crazy. Why are you making trouble for the community? This is the way we do it here in America. This is the way we do it. What's the big deal? Everyone does it this way. Everyone does it this way? It's not right. It's karet. We're talking here about the basic basis of Judaism. These women riled up the rabbis and gave the rabbis strength to stand up and institute a new system, a tarata mishpacha system, where every single girl in the community that becomes a kala, she gets a phone call now. Nobody gets left behind. Somebody calls her, whether it is Rabbanit Kassin or somebody, but somebody calls her. And they say to her, Rohi, Mazalto, Mabruk, who are you getting classes from? 
Because no one's going to marry you today without classes. Nobody. No rabbi will marry any couple in this community if they didn't go through classes. And B'liayin Hara today, we have so many wonderful teachers, husbands and wives, great teams. The wife sits with the girl, goes through all the laws. The husband goes through the guy's different laws that he needs to know. Today, they instituted in that teaching a new book for the husbands on Shalom Bayit. How to treat a woman, not just the halachot of purity, but how to be marriageable. How to carry a marriage, which today we need that more than ever. There are people out there that still has these crazy ideas of marriage of an old country that was still switching sheep and camels. I don't know where they get their stuff from. And I speak to them sometimes. They tell me things that, you want to know why I look white today? I'm not that old, ladies. Do you know why I'm so white? It's because of these stories. Guys that tell me, what do you mean? She doesn't behave? I smack her. I say, excuse me? I looked at the guy like he's out of his mind. I said, what do you mean, Rabbi? And he told my mother was out of line, my father, wop wop. Are you joking me? I couldn't believe my ears. I, okay, I said to myself, one nut. But then two nuts, and three nuts, and five nuts. Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. So they started teaching men how to be a gentleman. That's a good way to put it. How to treat a wife. None of this would have started if not for the fact that a few women stood up against the flow and was ready to be in ivory and was ready to stand for what they saw was right and what was terribly wrong. And today the whole system is thanks to those two, three, four women. Look what they did. Now where is all those people that made fun of them? Where are they now? You know what zechut these women have? They brought purity to a whole community. Every time a girl goes to mikveh in purity, it's in their bank account in heaven. Why? They made a stand. They made a stand. You have no idea what's waiting for them in Shamayim. Unbelievable. That's every. That's your strength. That's the way we come to a Torah. We come to the Torah with facing the mountain and our backs to the world. A Jew, the definition is that we stand on one side even if everybody else is standing on the other side. And we don't succumb. And we stand for what's right. Uh, but that power of society pulling a person in the direction of everyone else is so strong. And it's so hard to fight. And it's so hard to stand your ground, especially when people that mean something to you are putting you down, especially family. There's always an uncle in every family that knows the best. And he's always the one to tell every kid in the family there's no way that his nephews are going to Israel to learn. No, shalom. Another year of learning. You have to go out and work. Kid's going to be working for the next 90 years. You can't give him six months in Israel to taste real Torah, pure, and Eretz HaKedoshah, just for the experience. 
We could go and travel to every boondock in the world just to see the experience. We could send our kids to China. We can send them to Thailand because it's on business for six months where they get messed up in every possible way. No one says a word because he needs the experience for business. But when it comes to an experience of tasting a pure Torah of Eretz Yisrael for six months, Nobody wants to hear it. We got our priorities so messed up. We have to make a stand for what's real, what's right. This is what ivri means. You want to come to Torah, you have to put your back to the world. You want a kid here in Brooklyn to put his back to the world? He has his friends from high school calling him up day and night. He's walking around with, with, with a Samsung that's literally a 52-inch flat-screen TV on his, on his belt with every channel of every God knows what. That's the Torah. You, that's putting your back to the world to get a real taste of Torah. You understand now why we ship them out for six months? So they can get away from the distractions. So they can get away from all the, the hewi, all the nutness that we have here. Just to put them in a pure society that they can learn Torah, Bikdushav, Torah. Let them taste the real thing. Six months. Then bring them back. The kid is still 19. Where did he go? What did he lose? What did he lose? Six months of a salary that he was making $250 a week. What did he lose? And then he'll work. He'll work for the rest of his life. What's the rush? What's the rush? This he's never going to have another opportunity for. This, you don't do it now, it's gone forever. Halas. He's never going to get another opportunity to learn Torah like this again. Work? He's going to work for the rest of his life. What's the rush? But we need people to take a stand for what's right. No, but the uncle comes. Sure. This guy, this uncle, he knows Ashrei Yoshre Betecha. He thinks he knows three halachot, so already he calls himself a rabbi. And he tells everybody what to do. And when you tell him, but my rabbi, eh, your rabbi's not a rabbi. The minute he tells you that a rabbi is not a rabbi, he's already telling you what he's not as well. We have to stand up for what's right. We're holding so close to Mashiach, it's unbelievable. I just came back from Eretz Yisrael. You have to hear the way the Gidolim are talking in Israel. How close we are and how imminent it is and how what's going on in Syria. Keep an eye. Keep an eye. The day he falls. Oh, what they're saying is going to happen. Keep an eye on ISIS. Keep an eye on what's going on in the world. Every single thing you're watching is another piece to the puzzle and we're running out of pieces. The puzzle is practically done. Now's the time to stand. Now's the time, Abraham Avinu. Do you know what Hashem said to Abraham? Becha chotmin. Abraham, I'm going to end with you. Now, the simple meaning is, we have a blessing in Amida, the first one. Eloke Abraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov. But wait, Becha chotmin. How am I going to end that blessing? With only Abraham. Baruch atah Hashem, Magen Abraham. This is not a paid advertisement, but that's the way the, end, the blessing ends. Baruch atah Hashem, Magen Abraham. Becha chotmin. Abraham, I'm going to end with you. Says the Mikubalim. Yes, that's the simple pshat. 
I'm going to end with the blessing, Magen Abraham. Says the Mekubalim, but you know what really God meant? Abraham, I'm going to end time with you. I'm going to end the galut with you. With people like you. Who is he? Abraham Ha'ivri. The one that stood on one side while the whole world stood on the other side. The people that make a stance for what's right. Make a stance about Shabbat. Make a stance about Sini'ut. Make a stance about the schools that our children go to should be real yeshivot. This is the stance of the home and we desperately need people to stand up strong and drop a deaf ear to all the naysayers around you and be able to hold because those people become great. Their families become blessed while everybody else that make fun of them, they remain ordinary. They don't go nowhere. That's who the last people of the last moments before Mashiach needs to take to Abraham. I'm ending with you and the people like you, the people that do chesed and the people that make a stance for God and what's right. Ah, yeah, yeah, I just want to, uh, I want to end with a tremendous story. But before I end this, I just want to say, you know, people always want to know a practical application while walking out of a class. Now, I thought I gave a lot in the way of Shabbat observance is a great practical application. In the way of Siniyut is a great application. I mean, you know, I heard from so many girls and I cry for them. I, I cry. Now, one particular girl came to me and says, Rabbi, I, you know, I, I've been coming to your classes now for two years. I decided I'm going to stop putting on skirts. You know what they did to this girl? Do you know what they did to this girl? They, they literally literally fried her and then baked her and fried her again. I'm talking about her family. They killed her because she had the chutzpah to go and actually put on skirts. They killed her. They told her you're never going to get married. People are going to think you're religious. Next thing is that you're going to stop coming to weddings and you're going to be dressed normal. Terrible stuff. I mean, this is tragedy. No, let's talk worst case, worst case scenario. You might actually come dressed to a wedding. No guy's going to look at you. Who's going to marry you? And then after that, you're going to want a religious wedding. Oh, I'm going to die on my deathbed. I swear a thousand deaths. A woman was telling me and his son, her son was translating me from Arabic to English. And I'm listening to this. I'm going to die a thousand deaths if the wedding is a religious wedding. I'm looking at this lady. Lady, are you joking me? And she had a lot of other poetic things to say. I'm just sparing you the detail. You're going to get bitten by a donkey. And then after that, a cat's going to come. And I'm listening to this lady. She's bringing back. Uh, I said, okay, okay, relax. This is the terrible thing we're crying about. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. But do you know the greatness that these people reach? If they could just stand for what's right in a respectful way. No one has the license to be disrespectful to a parent. Never would we say a thing like that. No one has a license to go and put down a husband 
or to put down a parent. If that's the message you're getting from this class, throw out the CD. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, be respectful as respectful can be. Your mouth should be flowing with gems and honey. And tell the people around you how good they are. And how far they came. And how wonderful they are. And how we can go another step. And we can together make a stand to do what's right. And it's not going to be easy. They're not going to let you get away with that, believe me. They're going to still kill you. They'll still put you down. But after time, if you continue to hold and hold and hold, they'll respect you. They won't admit it, but they'll respect you. Because they see that you hold strong to what's emit. And deep down inside, they're going to have a pride. And one day, they might even come around to your side of thinking. Just like the original Ivri, Abraham Avinu. You want a practical example? You come into shul. Everybody's talking around you. And the talking got so out of hand. And our shuls today, it, it, it's... Do you, do, you know, do you know what the great Hasidish Rebbe is, the Gera Rebbe? Do you know what they said? Why the Sephardic Jews were spared from the Holocaust? Why? Why were we spared? And it was a close call. The Nazis made it to Egypt. The Nazis made it to Morocco. I know. My father told me as a baby, his mother actually already made a plan with an Arab woman that worked for them that the minute they come to their town, she's going to take my father as a baby and hide him. They already had a plan. That's how close they were. And then Hashem did miracles. The king of Morocco did not allow them to touch the Jews, which was a big merit for him. And at the same time, in Egypt, something took place that the desert fox, the famous Nazi general, was called back to Germany. Until today, no one knows exactly why. But the entire Nazi army turned around and went back to Germany. Hitler was against it. Hitler said, stay. But this general decided to go back due to the sandstorms in the desert. He felt that the Germans weren't equipped to fight under such conditions coming from Europe. They didn't know deserts. They left. What a, what a lousy excuse. That's not the real reason. The reason is Bore Olam. You know why? Says the Gera Rebbe, because the Sephardic Jews, they had something special. It was called the Shul. Their Bet Knesset. You ever see the old timers when they walk into a Shul? Oh, it's like can candy to our eyes. You want to run up. These cute little old men, you want to kiss them. They walk into shul, they kiss the mezuzah for five minutes. Then they walk in, they don't walk in yet. They bow. You can see on their face that they know where they're walking into. They're not walking into their living room. They're not walking into a cafe. They're walking into Kadosh. They walk in, their eyes are on the Aron Kodesh. They already have a sidur. They speak in a lower tone. They're not yelling across the room. Yo, what up? They sit down on their chair. They come 15 minutes early. They open their sefer, the book, the mashaf. They're already ready with their finger. They're already saying korbanot, the part of sidur that everyone forgot about. That's the way we once were. We had shuls. To talk in shul in the old country? 
No way. No way. Never happened. What do you mean? I'm sitting here in God's house. I'm going to start talking to you about, about the stocks, the bonds, last week's business deal, the buildings I'm buying, the lease car that I'm going after, where can I get a bargain? I moved to online. I'm selling on eBay. This is shul rhetoric. I told the guy, you know what? Let's give out cards. We'll give out cards with blanks and boxes. If you want to sit next to someone who's in the market to get a new lease card, check one. If you want to sit next to someone who's in the garment business, who wants to talk about the week's industry turns, plus to select two, and we'll put you on, 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 on immutable tables together. Is that what shul became? It's not easy to sit on a table when everybody else is talking and to be the one to say, shh, it's not easy. It's not easy. Ah, as the rabbi. And that's supposed to be my job. And I'm telling you, you get destroyed. It's not easy. But what are you telling them? To respect God. You're telling them the truth. And they know you're telling them the truth. But don't tell me. This is the way it is, Rabbi. I come to shul to see my friends. It's a social scene. Tefillah, yeah, I pray. So if you come to shul to talk, where do you go to pray? When do you talk to Him? When do you tell God what you need? Where does the prayer, the prayer, the tefillah come in? And it's no difference on this side of the mehitza than on the other side of the mehitza. When you have women around you that's talking about where they bought this skirt and oh my God, I love your shoes and back and forth. But where's the prayer going on? And to be the one to tell them, shh, it's very hard. They look at you like, did you see that? She shushed me. That's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the Ayin Harat lady to put the eye on her. Could you imagine that? And there were some other people that wanted to at least try to do it where they would get up and walk away from the table and get a different seat. And people were offended by that too. What do you want, Hazit? The lady wants to pray. She actually came to, you ready for this? It's not Bloomingdale's. Shul! It's not easy to be that person to make a stand for what's right. But those people become great while everybody else remains ordinary. That's the Ivri, Abraham. Those are the people in the final generation that's going to bring a Mashiach. That's the way we came to Torah this past parasha. Facing the mountain with our backs to the world. Remember, in Kutsk they said, the middle of the road is for horses. You want to lead the symphony of life? Sometimes you have to put your back to the people. That's the conductor that leads the orchestra. The one guy with his back to the audience. So ladies, let me just end with a great story. I want to tell you about a boy that they called Yomi. Yomi. But before I tell you this story, I'm sure everybody here heard about a great rabbi from the 19th century, not that many years ago. His name was Rameyer Shapiro, Zechit Tzadik Lebracha. He was the giant who came up with this brilliant concept of learning where the whole world, all of Klal Yisrael, is going to learn one page of Gemara a day. The same page, everyone together, day by day, every day. Till finally the whole Klal Yisrael will finish Shas together. The system that's known as Dafyomi. 
And everybody remembers only two, three years ago when we were at MetLife Stadium together and we stood there 100,000 people. Wow. At the moment of the Siyum Shas of Dafyomi, this rabbi, the great Rameir Shapiro, Zechit Tzadik Lebracha, the Rosh HaYeshiva of Chachmei Melublin, he was on a train with his wife and an entourage, with his Bachurim. And there, he looks across the car and he sees that there's a woman sitting there and he recognizes her. That woman was my neighbor. We grew up together as, as young boys, young boy, you know, kids. We, we actually played together as little, little children. I recognize her. He turns to the Rebetzin and Rameh Shapiro tells his Rebetzin, it's not, it's not siniut for me to speak to a woman. Please, Rabbanit, go over to this woman and ask her if she remembers me. We were neighbors. So the Rabbanit gets up, walks up to the woman and says to her, I am Rebetzin Shapiro. My husband is sitting over there, Rameh Shapiro. Do you remember him? She looks up. She has a big smile. She says, of course I remember. I, we grew up together. We were neighbors. As little children, we played together in the, in the same chatzer, in the same gun. Rameh Shapiro gets up. He walks up to the lady. He introduces himself. He says, so you remember? She says, of course. Of course I remember you. And I heard who you became. I can't believe that my neighbor, a young little boy, became a Gadol Ador. I'm honored. Rameh Shapiro smiles and he thanks her. And then he says to her in front of his whole entourage, do you remember when I was a young little boy, they gave me a nickname. Do you remember what they called me? And she says, yeah, I do. They called you Yomi Shapiro. And he says, that's right. I can't believe you remember. They called me Yomi Shapiro. Do you know why they called me Yomi Shapiro as a nickname? She says, no, that, that I have no clue. He turns to the whole entourage and he tells everyone there, he says, the reason why, as a young boy, they nicknamed me Yomi Shapiro was because at 11 years old, I had an idea. An idea that to get the whole Klal Yisrael to learn the same page of Gemara, Yom, Yom, Daf, Yomi. And my father smiled at the idea. And he says, Mayor, that's a nice idea. Now go back to learning. I didn't get any encouragement there. I went out and told all my friends. They laughed at me. They bellied over. Ah, you're crazy with your ideas, your dream. You, we can't even get a yeshiva to learn the same page. You're going to get the whole Klal Yisrael to learn the same page of Gemara day after day. Every, nah, it's never. What a ridiculous idea. They put him down. They made fun of him. They called him names. And what did they call him? Yomi Shapiro because of Daf Yomi. Yeah, he was laughed at. They called him crazy. They told him his idea was absurd. And it didn't stop there. Even years later, when he grew to be a great Rav, there were other rabbis that even put down his idea of Dafyomi as well. But look what happened. He lent the deaf ear to everybody. And he held in his stand. And he held a deaf ear to all the naysayers that told him you can't. And he stood alone. And he said, Dafyomi is going to be a great 
Yeshua for Klal Yisrael. Not just the boys in yeshiva, but everybody in Klal Yisrael can learn Daf Yomi. A page a day, that's doable for anybody. Working, non-working, whoever you might be, you can do a page a day. You can give an hour a day of learning. And he held to his stand. He stood on one side while everybody else laughed at him from the other side. Ladies, now who's laughing? Rameh Shapiro is laughing to the bank in heaven on every page of Dafyomi that the world is learning today because he stood alone. But when you stand alone for something for Hashem, Hashem stands with you. <laughs> And he gives you a success and he makes you great. In New York, it was 100,000 MetLife Stadium. In Israel, it was 250,000 by the Siyum Hashas two years ago, three years ago, whenever it was. In Australia, it was 50,000. In France, it was 50,000. In Belgium, I mean, everywhere in the world. One Jew, one idea, and he stood in the face of ridicule. Ridicule. Abraham Ivri. These are the people that make a difference in a generation. They grow to be Gedolim. And all the laughers, they stay behind and they remain ordinary. This is a message for our generation today. We have a tremendous opportunity, moments before Mashiach, where we can make a difference. Hashem should give us the Koach, not just to stand alone at times in what we know is right but to show us that he's standing right there with us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Looking forward to see you this Shabbat, 2066 East 9th Street, between Avenue T and U. Have a great week.